Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, hey, good morning, Joy at first. So glad you're here. Um, we're excited to have our kids in this morning, and we're going to be doing something different because they're in here. I'm excited for that. But speaking of kids, uh, many of you, uh, we, Todd just kind of disappeared. He showed up for practice last week. Todd is our worship pastor, the handsome guy that was up here this morning. And he just disappeared last week because apparently he thought he had something more important to do, like have a kid. Uh, well, not he didn't have a kid, but his wife had a kid, uh, Shana. And I just got to show you a picture. We um, welcomed Ellet uh, into the world on Monday at 5, at 5 a.m. Yeah, don't go there. Uh, go there, yeah. Uh, sorry for the stretch. He looks a little wide. He actually is not that big. Um, he's really handsome, really petite, really cute. But I tell you what, there's something about newborn babies that just give you perspective on what life is all about. And so uh, can, we just, can we just give gratitude and thanks that God has been good to Todd and to Shana and to their family and how lucky we are to have them here. Well, if you're new here and you haven't been with us, we are in the tail end of a series called The Good and Beautiful Life. Uh, we've been addressing the messes of our lives because honestly, we have a lot of issues. Uh, you, me, we all just have issues. And so we've taken almost eight weeks, nine weeks, it'll be a total of 12, to address some of the things that you and I face every day. And um, I'm excited about this one today. And I'm not going to tell you up front what it is. Uh, I hope you can figure it out as we go along. And again, we're doing something a bit different, so if it's a bit choppy, I apologize, but it's going to be fun. I'm going to invite my son up before we pray, my son to come up, uh, Carter, who's coloring. If you could come up here real quick, uh, we'll pray. Uh, yeah, give him a hand. Come on up here. You can sit up here, buddy. All right. Apparently he thinks it's summer. He's got sandals on. Um, it's all right, bud. We're so glad you're here. Uh, the goal today is to help you, not to hurt you, but to help you. So let's pray. Lord, we do give thanks for this day that you've given us. Thank you for this time to worship you, to praise you. I pray that you would be in these, this time over the next few minutes as we discover your word and discover truths that you want to give as we learn what it means to live the good and beautiful life. Amen. All right, well, today I'm going to be reading uh, to you from one of my favorite children's books. Carter's going to hold it for me. He's going to hold it there. And I'm going to read because this book... This book is going to be the platform for where we start today. So, many of you know this book. If you don't know this book, it's one of my favorites. Our kids love it. It's called Those Shoes. Those Shoes. All right, y'all ready? I'm going to kneel down so I can see this. It says, I have dreams about those shoes. Black high tops and two white stripes. Ooh, yeah. Grandma, I want them. Well, there's no room for want around here, she says. Just need Grandma says, and what you need are new boots for winter. Ooh. Brandon T. comes to school in those shoes. He says he's the fastest runner now, not me. But I was always the fastest runner before those shoes came along. 
Nate comes to school, no shoes. And Antonio and, I, Antonio and I count how many times Nate goes to the bathroom. I love this. He goes seven times in one day just to show off his shoes. Give that kid some Urabel. I mean, my goodness. Seven times in one day. Uh, if you don't know what Urabel is, well, you don't have bladder problems. But anyway, uh, just so he can walk up and down the hall to show off his shoes. Next, Alan, Jacoby, and Terrence each get a pair. Then one day, in the middle of kickball, one of my shoes comes apart. Looks like you could use a new pair of shoes, Jeremy said, or Mr. Alfrey said, the guidance counselor. And he brings out a box of shoes and other stuff he has for kids who, quote, need things. I love that. He helps me find the only shoes that are my size, and they're Velcro, like the ones my cousin Marshall wears. They have an animal on them from a cartoon I don't think any kid has ever watched in their life. When I come back to the classroom, Alan Jacoby takes one look at my Mr. Alfrey shoes and he laughs. And so does Terrence. And so does Brandon. And so does everyone else. The only kid not laughing was Antonio Parker. At home, Grandma says, how kind of Mr. Alfrey. I nod and I turn my back. I'm not going to cry about these dumb shoes. But when I'm writing, when I'm writing my spelling words later, every word looks like the word shoes. And my grip is so tight on my pencil, I think I might bust. I love it. We're going to pick it up here in a second. I love how the story starts because it represents, it represents a young man who has hopes, he has dreams, and ultimately he has wishes. He has wishes. And the question I want to start with today for you is, what do you wish for? What do you wish for? And I know the problem that we all face, that you and I face, is this, is that just like grandma, you've heard it before, it's not about what you want, it's about what you need. And what you need is obviously at times not what you want. But, but I think there's a difference between want and wish. Because there are things that I want that I, I need at times. It can be utilitarian at times. So I think wishing goes deeper. Because a wish, a wish is this. A wish is something we hope for and desire, but the demand, the demand is too great. So my question is, what do you wish for? And you're saying, I don't have a wish list. Sure you do. It's called Amazon, right? You didn't know this, but when you are shopping on Amazon and it says, add to my list, it automatically goes to what? Your, your wish list, right? In fact, uh, this is the only time I'm going to tell you to do this. If you have a phone and you have the Amazon app, I want you to pull it because I'm going to ask you in just a second. What is on your wish list? Yeah, I'm going to ask you in just a second and you can shout it out. That's fine. If you were to go on my Amazon account, uh, the demand is too great, obviously. That's why I don't have half of what's on my wish list. The demand is too great. If you were to go on my Amazon wish list account, you would find a mountaineering jacket made in England that costs far too much than what I can afford. You would find hiking boots, Solomon hiking boots, that I desperately need for my annual hiking trip that we take out west. Notice I use the word need there. You would find a watch. I don't know where I found this watch. I think it was in a magazine. I thought it looked cool, and I just added it to my wish list. Um, I think it's like a Skagen hybrid uh, watch, smart watch. Um, it looks like a watch that doesn't look like an Apple watch, but I, anyway, it's pretty cool. I have protein bars on my wish list. And some of you are saying, that's kind of dumb. Just buy them. Well, they are expensive at times. And I also have an Ohio State lunchbox, which is priceless. That's why I can't afford it. Um, but what's on your wish list? What do you wish for? Somebody give it to me. What do you wish for? 
What do you wish for? He's got some clothes. What do you wish for, Miles? What? Candy. I know this young man would like a hoverboard. Thanks to Todd, our worship pastor, who's let him ride his. That's all I've heard about over the last few days is a hoverboard. Um, right? Wish list on your hoverboard. Yeah. Anybody else? What do you have on your wish list? Coloring books. Wow. Get a life, Jeannie. <laughs> Anybody else? What's on your wish list? A new car. Now we're talking. Right? A new car. I didn't know they sold those on Amazon, but soon. Right? Soon. The question I want to ask you, though, is why? Why do you wish for what you wish? Why do you wish for what you wish? See, it's in the story. We wouldn't pick it up, but it's in the story because this young man goes to school. He's the popular kid. He's also the fastest kid. But then suddenly, suddenly, kids come to school with new shoes on and they're the fastest kid. And the kid who needs your bell keeps walking down the hallway because he wants to show off the shoes and make this young man feel like far worse about himself than what he should be feeling. And then we can see it in the story, and th this young man ends up getting what he doesn't want, right? A pair of Velcro shoes. You ever, you ever been there before at Christmas time when you got a really terrible gift that you didn't want, and you kind of had to say thank you, but you really didn't want it? Because it wasn't, I, I mean, come on, high school guys and girls, we've been here. It's not the exact replica of what is at school, those shoes, that shirt, those pair of jeans. And you know, you know what happens when you show up with something that's like counterfeit. You, you get made fun of. And in the story, he comes in and he walks in front of the class and they begin to laugh and they begin to make fun of him. And all of his worries, all of his fears become true. And in that moment, you've been here, he doesn't feel like he's valued. He, we talked about that last week. He doesn't feel like he's valued. He doesn't feel like he's good enough. He doesn't feel like he's measured up. And then we start using this kind of language. We start using this narrative. Well, they always get what they wish for. Well, they don't have to worry about what they want because they always get what they want. And they're always going to be popular. And they're always going to have more. And the more we talk like that, the more like we talk like this young man, the more we begin to take ourselves down. So, you do what this little boy does. You do what I do, what this little guy does. And I love this story. Let's continue. He says, on Saturday, I love this. Grandma says, let's check out those shoes you've been wanting so much. I've got a little money set aside. It might be enough. You never know. At the store, Grandma turns those shoes over so she can check on the price like good grandmas do. And when she sees it, she sits down heavy. She says, maybe they wrote down the wrong price. Grandma shakes her head again. I don't think so. Then I remember the thrift shops. What if there's a rich kid who outgrew his or got two pairs for Christmas and had to give one of them away? We ride the bus to the first thrift shop. Black cowboy boots, pink slippers, sandals, high heels, every kind of shoe except the ones I want. We ride the bus again to the second thrift shop. Not a pair of those shoes in sight. Around the corner is the third thrift shop, and I see something in the window. Oh, I love this. Guess what? Black shoes with two white stripes, high tops, the perfect shape, $2.50. Come on, bargain deal. Those shoes, 
My heart is pounding hard as I take off my shoes and hitch up my baggy socks. How exciting, Grandma says. What size are they? I shove my foot into the first shoe, curling my toes to get my heel in. I don't know, but I, th I think they fit, he says. Grandma kneels on the floor and feels for my toes like good grandmas do. By the way, that doesn't say that there. Oh, Jeremy, she says, I can't spend good money on shoes that don't fit you. I'll pull the other shoe on and I'll try to walk around. They're okay, I say, holding my breath and praying that my toes fall off. Holy cow, most of us are trying to keep our toes on. Uh, but then my toes don't fall off. I buy them anyway with my money and I squeeze them on and I limp to the bus stop. At home a few days later, Grandma puts on a new pair of snow boots and in my closet, and she doesn't say a word about my two big feet shuffling around in my two small shoes. Sometimes shoes stretch like Sperry's. Uh, I say, Grandma gives me a big hug. All right, we're going to stop here. You can go sit down. Thanks, bud. Can we give Carter a hand? I love the story where it picks up because we find him going to great lengths to get what he wants, right? He's curling his toes in his shoes. Uh, I mean, I've never prayed the prayer. I mean, that's a great length to pray that your toes would fall off. I mean, I don't, that's kind of uh, crazy. But he goes to great lengths. And my question is, what lengths do you go to to get what you want? See, you can remember that time when you took money out of your mom's purse or your dad's wallet. Maybe you remember the time when, when you opened up a credit card and you thought, I can't make the payments on the bills that I currently have, but I really want what I wish for. And so I'm just going to open up this credit card. And even if I made money, I still can't make the payments, but I'm still going to do it anyway. And we open up a credit card in order to get what we want. Or maybe you've done this, right? You've put money away in savings or in your 401k and, and you thought, I really need this now and I'm not going to wait until the future because I'm just impatient or, you know, I, I just... I'm not thinking about the future. I'm just thinking about the present. And you cash in a few dollars. You cash in a few dollars. And you get what you wish for. You see, when we go to great lengths, it's not actually, it's not actually about function. It's more about fashion. When you go to great lengths, it's not about function. It's about fashion. And what does fa fashion represent? When we get what we wish for, right? It's the thing that has the most power. It's the thing that makes us feel good inside. It makes us feel successful. It makes us feel, you know it, happy. By the way, this is a side note, not really tied in, but whoever said money doesn't buy you happiness is a liar. Yeah. Uh, you could say you heard it today from the great philosopher Brad. Uh, money does buy you happiness. Uh, because when I get what I wish for, um, thanks to those who give me birthday money, uh, sometimes I get what I wish for. I'm very happy with the very thing I get. You can't tell me you don't like that car or those pair of jeans or that jacket or whatever you've been given, right? M money at times does buy happiness, but not long-term happiness. But the struggle that we have is this weird word called avarice. When we go to great lengths, we feed this addiction called avarice. And I know you're saying, I've never heard that word. Avatar's sister, you know, I, I mean, who's, who's avarice? I've never heard of her before. Avarice is this, right? It's, it's an ex, uh, excessive, not adequate. It's an excessive desire for money or possessions. This is our struggle. It's an excessive desire for money or possessions. 
And here's what's interesting in the story. We think that it's the problem just for the young boy, but it's also a problem for the grandmother. See, whether you spend a lot or whether you save a lot, the problem when it comes to avarice and money and possessions is this. Right? I, I don't feel valued. The boy doesn't feel valued without what he wishes for. The grandmother on the other end feels like she has to have an amount of money to protect her future. And so it, for her, it is about taking in the money. And whether you save or whether you spend, we all struggle with this. And it's so interesting because we live in a culture, we live in a world where this is the platform for how we live life. Right? Much of what we do and much of what we desire is based upon our possessions and what we wear and what we do. And as long as that becomes the launch point for your life, Jesus says you will not live the good and beautiful life. Because all of that is rooted in this one ugly word called worry. And so Jesus invites us in today. That's right. He obviously has something to say again about our struggles. Uh, but again, it's not to hurt you. It's to help you. And so he says this. I love this. Therefore, therefore, do not worry. Do not worry about your life. Now, I want you to know this. I'm working backward today um, because Jesus puts the important thing first and we like it last. And so I'm just from my mentor making the last first and the first last. Thanks, Jesus, for this mantra. Uh, but he says, therefore, do not worry about your life. And I love it because he says, do not, do not, do not, don't, don't, don't. Do not is different than should not. See, when you go to the beach, right, do not is different from should not. Should not is there's a yellow flag that says swim at your own risk. The red flag says, do not swim at all, because if you do, there's a good chance you'll die. Do not is the jellyfish sign when you go out, and there's an influx of jellyfish in the tide, and it's like, if you want to swim, go ahead, but there's a good chance you're going to die. So do not do it. It's like when it snows, and the sheriff's department says, do not go on the streets, or we're going to give you a ticket. That's different from should not, which is, hey, if you need to go get something, go for it, but at your own risk. And Jesus begins to point out these words do not are so important because he says, if you don't, don't, you won't make it. And here's why. The word worry actually has this undertone of care, of caring. But it's not just caring, it's caring what other people think. Oh, I like that. So Jesus says this, do not worry what other people people think and you know coming from his mouth that has to be true because if you know Jesus at all he really doesn't give two flips about what you think or what other people think or what the Pharisees thought or people of his day thought he just didn't care he just said whatever he wanted to say in fact if his church were across the street from us we would still have the bigger church I'm truly believe that Jesus was just that honest about things he says quit caring don't worry what other people think and here's why Here's why it's so important. He goes on to say this. Help me out here. He says, help me out. Yep. No one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I know you've heard this before, but what's really interesting is scientists did a study on people's brains. 
And, and they brought one group in and, and they said, we want to rehash some of your experiences when you were a kid and maybe even adult or maybe even a teenager when you were in the church and you were in worship services. And so they began to talk about those experiences with them. And then they showed them pictures of crosses and churches and stained glass windows. Right, and then there was this part of the brain called the caudate nucleus, and I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. Doctors, you can uh, correct me. I'm, I'm probably wrong, but there's this part of the brain called the caudate nucleus, which when they were exposed to those images and when they were taken back to those memories, the brain just began to just light up in this area. So then they took another group of people, and they began to, to show them pictures of some of the most famous brands in the world, Apple, Harley, Ferrari, you can fill in the blank on whatever you think is famous. They start showing people images and pictures of this. And what they found, and some of you know where I'm going, what they found was the caudate nucleus of the brain, the exact same spot that connects you to the divine one, the divine God, the exact same spot, had the exact same energy and lit up in the exact same way. So when Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. He literally means you can't serve two masters. You will literally hate the one or love the other. I mean, it's just not possible. And you know what? Emerson said this. I like this. He said, money often costs too much. Do you know what it costs you? This is what Jesus is getting at, is that it costs you Understanding what your value is. You see, that's the problem with possessions, is it rivals God. And, and when we begin to think about and we begin to value what others think about us, when we worry about what others think about us, the whole point is that there is not room in your life for you to understand what God thinks about you. It's one or the other. So if I'm worried about what I'm wearing and I'm worried about what other people think all the time, if I have an addiction to avarice, there will be no room for you to, to tap into what God thinks about you. Do you want to know why you have a poor view of yourself? Do you, do you want to know why we feel insecure about who we are when we're around other people? This is what Jesus is pointing to. You can't serve other people. You can't make them happy. You can't worry about what they think and worry about what I think at the same time. And I love that. I love that. And so he wants to give us a paradigm shift. And I need Miles to come up. Miles is going to come up. And he's going to help us finish this story out. All right. Hey, can we give Miles a hand? Thanks for coming up. Yeah. This is my other little son, Miles. He's going to help us. You got some trouble there, bud? Here. There you go. All right, here we go. You guys ready for the finish of this story? It's really good. I check every day, but those shoes don't stretch. I have to wear my Mr. Alfrey uh, shoes to school instead. One day during math, I love this, I glance. I glance at Antonio's shoes. I glance at Antonio's shoes, and one of them is taped up. Nothing like duct tape. One of them is taped up, and his feet look smaller than mine. And after school, I head to the park and I think, Antonio is there, the only kid who didn't laugh at me in my Mr. Alfrey shoes. All right, let's turn it. 
We shoot baskets and a loose piece of tape on Antonio's shoe smacks the concrete every time he jumps. And I think to myself, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. He says, we leap off the swings. And he says, I'm not going to do it. We race from one end of the playground to the other. And he says, I'm not going to do it. Do what, Antonio says, beating, uh, breathing really hard. Grandma calls me home for supper and invites Antonio over too. Oh, boy. After supper, he spies my shoes. How come you don't wear these, he asks. I shrug. My hands are sweaty. I can feel him wishing those were his. That night, I'm awake for a long time thinking about Antonio. And when morning comes, I try on my shoes one last time. Before I can change my mind, those shoes are in my coat. Snow is beginning to fall as I run across the street to Antonio's apartment. I put the shoes in his front door, and I push the doorbell, and I run. Ding dong ditching. You remember this? This is fun. So much fun in high school, except we didn't do it for good reasons. Um, but he pushes the doorbell, and he runs. At school, Antonio is smiling big in his brand new shoes. I feel happy when I look at his face and mad when I look at my Mr. Alfrey shoes. But later, when it's time for recess, something happens. Everywhere there is snow. Leave your shoes in the hall and change into your boot, the teacher announces. Leave your shoes in the hall. It's then I remember that I, what I have in my backpack, new boots. New black boots that no kid has ever worn before. Standing in line to go to recess, Antonio leans forward and says, thanks. I smile and I give him a nudge. Let's race. The end. Thanks, buddy. I love the paradigm shift in the story for all of us, and this is where Jesus is going in just a second. But, but did you notice that it was, it was Antonio's glance? It was his perspective. It was his eye that went from what is my need to what is the need. Not what is my need, but what is the need. And Jesus points to this very thing when he says, I love this, check this out. When he talks about the eye, Jesus says this. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus makes a reference to the eye as well. He makes a reference to the glance as well. And he talks about the unhealthy eye. And he doesn't say, hey, I'm talking to somebody with cataracts or macular degeneration or somebody who needs glasses. Uh, actually, in their days, when they referenced an unhealthy eye, it referenced somebody who was envious, jealous, and stingy. But Jesus goes on to talk about a healthy eye. And again, we're not talking about somebody who has 20-20 vision or he can just see as far as the world goes. A healthy eye referred not to somebody who was stingy, but to somebody who was generous. Generous. And I love this whole thing, that generosity. Generosity is our aversion to avarice. Generosity is our aversion to avarice. To worry. To what other people think. 
But the problem for us is just like what the problem is for the boy. Do you remember the three times he said, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And we sit here and say, I don't want to do it. I don't want to be generous because I've got medical bills to pay. I don't want to do it because I've got to put food on the table. I don't want to do it because I've got to pay for my, my, my kid's college. I don't want to do it because I've got to retire. I've got to live on something when I get done. And the problem for us in life is, especially when it comes to avarice, is we begin to move to a posture of scarcity. A posture of scarcity. And unfortunately, people who live in scarcity are, guess what? Scared. They live in fear their entire life. And see, we, we wonder why we're stuck. We're, we wonder why we, we, we don't feel purposeful. Or we don't feel like we're living the good and beautiful life. Or we don't feel like we're living up to what God has designed us to do. And so often, it's because we stand there and say, I don't want to do it. And it's because I don't want to be generous. When we get the right glance, we give. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what changed the story for this young man. And it's what changed the story for Antonio is when this little boy changed his glance, he began to give. He went from what is my need to what is the need. And so Jesus goes on to say the most important thing that he says from the very beginning of this little TED Talk. I love what he says. Do not sort for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now I know, yeah, and for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I know you're saying, I've heard this before. I know we're not supposed to store up treasures on earth. It's all about heaven. But let me just say, it's not just about heaven. It's about on earth as in heaven. See, I think we tend to miss that whole part, that it's about on earth as in heaven. That in our lives, what will compete for us, what will compete for our attention, what will compete for who you are as a person is stuff and people and things. And God wants to say, it's all about generosity. It's all about generosity. Because when you become a generous person, and here's the whole point, you participate in what God is doing. You ever thought about that? That's why I say on earth as in heaven, because God isn't out there somewhere working. He's actually here doing all of his work. And you get the joy and the pleasure of participating in what he's doing. He is meeting needs where there is needs. He is bringing hope where there is hope. And it's all about your eternal investment. It's all about changing lives. And when you begin to move to a position of generosity and not a position of scarcity, you will begin to understand what that investment is about. How deep the investment is. How great the investment is. And it's no longer about what is my need, but what is the need. And it's not just about what is my need, but where is God meeting needs. That's how our shift, our focus changes. From what do I need to where is God meeting needs? And I know you're at this point saying, so where's my investment go? Here comes the whole message about giving, right? No, no, just hang tight. Where's my investment go? So interesting, I got a phone call the other day. It's, it's no uh, secret that financially we are uh, not doing all, oh so well. Um, but I got a phone call from someone. And of course, I'm worrying 
you know, I'm, I'm not doing what Jesus told us to do. I'm worrying. And this gentleman says to me, you know, I've been thinking about this whole thing. He says, you know, I, th- I think it's almost like the evil one or whatever you want to call him, Satan, whatever you want to call him, I don't care. He says, I think the evil one has had a conversation with God. And he said, there's this, there's this little church on Brig Street and, uh, you know, they're making changes and they're doing things. And it might take them 10 years to get where they need to go, but they're doing something. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about it, but I'm interested. What, what would happen if I took what matters most to them at this point, which is their, their money. See, we always talk about that it's our mission, but when it comes down to it, uh, money talks. And it's amazing how much money talks when we lose what matters most to us. And so he said, I think, I think the accuser just said, hey, let me just take this and we'll see what happens. And I don't think God said no. He said, hey, the, the, the test is where we learn to trust. The test is where we learn to trust. And you know what's funny? This gentleman on the phone says, it was funny what happened, right? He's sitting there laughing because we start having all these meetings. We talk about what we're going to do and what we're not going to pay. And, and like all of a sudden we go from having a healthy eye to an unhealthy eye. Like we go from being a generous church to a scarce driven church. And you could, you could feel it. You could sense it. There was fear. We were scared. We were uncertain about what was going to happen. And it was almost like you could just feel the shift. And the last two weeks, i got to tell you, I've been depressed. And it's like been this weight that's been on me. But again, it's because we moved from mission and purpose and love and to what God is doing to, oh, my lands, how can we save what we have? It was about emergency, not mission. So in real time for me as your pastor, let me just say this. I don't care if we have $5 to our name. We will always be a generous church. We will always give to people in need. We will help those in need. And we will not ask, what will we not pay or what can we not give away? We will always say, this is not ours. This is what God has given for his people and for the community and those in need of hope. Can I just let you know that as your pastor, I will do my best to keep that at the forefront. That mission will always drive what we do with our money. Because mission is the eternal. It's what we build in heaven, on earth. That's how it works. It's what we cherish most. And so I would, I would say this. If you didn't get anything out of today, here you go. Don't chase what you can't cherish. If you wanted to sum up everything that Jesus had to say and everything that we learned from this book today, when it's all about giving and it's all about changing our focus, don't chase what you can't cherish. See, what what we cherish in life are things that don't perish. Huh, man, I'm like rhyming today. I'm on a roll. Uh, What you cherish is what doesn't perish. Did you know that? Like, they've done a study, and they found that that kids don't remember what car you drove. They don't remember how big your house was or how messy or how broke. What they remember, what they remember is memories. When you took them on that vacation and you made great memories, when you sat down at the dinner table at night every day of the week and you talked about their life and you asked them questions, that's what we cherish. When you help that neighbor out who was in desperate need, who was sick and couldn't mow their grass or rake their yard, and you went over and you did that for them, that has eternal value. 
And so the question that you need to be asking is, is this something I cherish? Is, is this something that has just like fleeting value or, or is it eternal? And is God in it? Is God doing work there? Is his mission and his goal and his, his life of restoration and renewal, is, is that there? So my, my, I would just say to you, don't chase what you can't cherish. Don't chase what you can't cherish. So here's the challenge, right? Now you're all going to say, now he's going to ask for the money. No, you're wrong. You're so wrong. I want you to take five things of value this week. And I don't mean the pair of shoes that has duct tape on them, like Antonio's. I want you to take five things of value this week. You know the coat that you're not really sure you want to get rid of, but you know you should get rid of because you haven't worn it in the last like year or two, but you just think when the right snow comes or the right rain comes, you'll wear it, but you still don't wear it? Shake your head because you know you have one of those coats. Give it away. Take five things of value this week. Mark them. Give them to a person who needs it. Give it to an organization who could use it. But five things, that's what I'm asking you to do. And watch, as you begin to give away, as you begin, uh, begin to become generous to other people, you'll find yourself feeling part of what God is doing, which is not about meeting your need, which is about meeting the needs of the people who need it most.